Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour here on the Talent Talk Radio Show. We have a great lineup of guests, and I hope you're looking forward to hearing uh, all of our great insights uh, from all of our guests throughout the year. So the Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of these types of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. And in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings. So uh, of the two that we focus on, the first is how it relates to success and how really talented people achieve success. And then the second one that we focus on is how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. This show uh, will explore those two different areas along with how talented individuals really impact a company's culture. The guests on Talent Talk uh, typically include CEOs, HR executives, entrepreneurs, coaches, consultants, and all types of business leaders from just about every industry you can think of. What typically happens is I'm at networking events and conferences, and I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. And I created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and learn some practical advice on how to cultivate talent, develop t- uh, leaders, and uh, manage culture, and hopefully impact your own career in a positive way. I want to thank uh, those of you tuning in live here every Tuesday. If you have a question for one of our guests, you can uh, submit them via Twitter by tweeting them to at uh, PeopleG2 and use the hashtag Talent Talk, all one word. Uh, my producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions and we'll try to work them into the show. If you have other uh, guest suggestions or just you know generic uh, questions that you think might be good to ask guests, uh, we also uh, can take your suggestions there as well. Also, don't forget... Uh, about the Talent Talk uh, podcast on iTunes or Android. That's how most people tend to interact with the show. And we now have over 130,000 of you subscribing to the podcast feed and tuning in each week. Uh, we thank all of you for taking the time to listen, uh, whether it's the live show or the podcast. All right, now we've got all the business out of the way. Let's get today's show started. My uh, guests today are Marty Nolan. He's the vice president of HR for a little company you might have heard of called Sears. Uh, and also uh, Donna... Uh, Shilder. She's the executive coach with uh, Glacier Point Solutions. Donna will join me live in the studio the second half of the show. But uh, my first guest is on the phone uh, with Marty Nolan. Marty, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here today. So tell us a little about yourself and uh, your new role there at Sears. Sure. Well, I would explain that I'm probably the typical you know, HR guy, for the lack of a better description. I've been doing HR for my entire career, mostly with large organizations. Uh, strangely enough, I started in consulting uh, right out of college, which uh, is a bit unusual. Most clients don't want to work with some kid right out of college, but it was a great landing area for me to start working on things like job descriptions and HR audits and employee handbooks and kind of fell in love with HR from a compliance perspective very early and moved on through larger organizations like uh, AIG I worked with for a number of years, uh, Stanley Black & Decker, um, Manpower Group, and, and now with Sears Holdings Company. And over that period of time, you know, working with large organizations and so many different people in different business units through several mergers and acquisitions really landed a passion for working with people um, and understanding the importance of talent and talent management uh, in any organization. So I've landed here with Sears. Um, I'm the HR leader for uh, Sears Home Services, which is a large division of Sears, about 12,000 people, uh, a little north of uh, $7 billion in revenue. And we do just what it sounds like, home improvement, uh, all of those product repair technicians out there that are fixing washers and dryers and dishwashers and uh, service contracts and it's been a it's been a good four months for me here chris but uh it's been challenging as well it's a a great organization and just as you had pointed out a company that everybody knows uh, but a company that struggled recently as well and uh sears has been around since the 1800s um, as many people know and uh, times have have changed and sears is uh, changing with those times as well 
to continue to compete both on the retail side as well as the home services side. So I think, it, you know, the first kind of uh, imagery that might pop in our head when we think Sears might be that kind of blue logo up on the side of uh, one section of the mall that you may or may not park next to as we go to enter either Sears or the mall in general. So, But there are so many other brands that encompass Sears, and I, I was really kind of surprised, or I may I just kind of forgotten over time, all of the different great brands that are really under that umbrella. So maybe you could just take a moment and kind of remind our listeners, what are some of those different companies and brands that are really kind of under that umbrella there? be happy to, Chris. I think, you know, most people are certainly familiar with uh, Kmart, and that was a acquisition that Sears made several years ago when Kmart was struggling through the bankruptcy process. We have a full line of Kmart stores across the country. But from a pure brand perspective, uh, you know, we kind of call it internally KCD, which would be Kenmore, uh, the appliances, Craftsman, which is the tool set and line, and then, of course, Die Hard uh, as well, which is uh, through Sears Auto, which is a successful business uh, for the enterprise. And then most people may not know, we also work very closely with uh, Land's End. So for those that are out there, I know with my children, I'm looking for snow boots every single winter and uh, snow jackets and snow pants. Uh, Land's End, the popular um, apparel destination for folks. I'm sorry, what's snow again? <laughs> well, as I sit up here in Chicago, I can describe it to you very specifically. Okay, good, good. No, but I mean, I, you know, Sears and Kmart, I think people are, are very familiar with, but you, know, you talk about the KCD and then you add in Lens I mean, those are really four kind of powerhouse brands that themselves have great reputations and um, are, are great employers as well. And in and themselves, could, we could probably talk about it at length. But I know you were recruited uh, by Sears to kind of step into the role you're in now. So what is it that you think you bring to the table that is something that Sears was looking for for its next VP of HR? I think a lot of it, Chris, has to do with perspective. You know, I've been in, in a lot of different roles with different types of organizations. My most recent role with Manpower Group, I had some client responsibility as, as well as uh, internal HR responsibility for the Americas. So I had the full scope HR role there, you know, which really kind of shaped my view on talent. And I think they were looking for somebody to come in, you know, in a low capital environment. You know, one of the areas that we can quickly make a difference is, is around talent. So if we don't, you know, if you go back 30, 40 years ago, it was, you know, organizations that had a lot of capital uh, did really well. You know, they could buy their way out of trouble through technology, machinery, whatever it might be. <clears throat> In low-margin businesses where capital is hard to come by, you know, talent really becomes your differentiator. And Sears happens to be in one of those situations now as they rebuild uh, the retail sector and become more of an integrated retailer. You know, we don't have necessarily the capital that the organization did at one point in time. So how do we leverage talent in the organization? How do we recruit talent into the organization? How can we do that uh, in an innovative way when the organization in some parts are struggling? So I really feel like my perspective uh, coming in, understanding the workforce, some of the things we had done at Manpower Group, what can we do uh, to leverage that <clears throat> within Sears? And there was also just a practical edge to it as well, Chris. Uh, from a pure practitioner perspective, we have thousands and thousands of technicians across the country, as you can imagine. Uh, they're a very important part of our business. And when I say practitionership, you know, what can we do to continue to staff those roles, to make the calls, to retain them in their roles and also to, to reward and recognize them from a compensation perspective uh, appropriately. And I've had some large field experience in my past. So that was kind of a quick win right there to, to try to mm -hmm. do some things uh, in that area to uh, improve their performance. That's interesting. You In the beginning there, you kind of talked about some of those major improvements or capital improvements that companies can make, you think, over the last, uh, you know, kind of several business cycles. Yeah, there's some pretty incredible things that we have added to the business world, whether it's computers or it's telephones, if it's that made just remarkable changes to our, our process. And maybe mobile devices might be the most recent, um, maybe the, you know, aside from maybe the internet and that, that whole scenario. And um, But, you know, I think we're at this point now, unless something really drastically new gets invented or brought into the marketplace and uh, I don't know what that is yet, or maybe I would I'd be uh, on my yacht by now. But I, I kind of feel like that big thing is actually the human part of it, 
Maybe it's changing the way in which our our staff, our employees, our human capital is really being leveraged in the company in a much more positive way. And that tends to kind of get back into to company culture. But before we kind of dive into that a little bit, I know, you know, in talking about your move in into Sears uh, as a VP of HR, you were kind of one of the other, one of four people that were brought in as kind of major leadership changes there to kind of help keep the company really moving forward in a positive way. Can you maybe explain the strategic thinking behind some of those moves, uh, you know, as best you can? And, you know, if that, you're hopeful the outcome will, will be great, you know, as far as the, the future of that kind of new leadership into Sears. Sure. You know, if you think back a couple of decades ago or even more recently than that, you know, Sears was often kind of poached, for the lack of a better word, because we really had the retail model nailed. You mentioned the anchor store at the end of the mall where everybody went to to get just about anything at, at Sears. Um, you know, we, we now know that there are certain directions that we want to go uh, as well, um, one being technology. You know, to be a strong integrated retailer, you've got to have a strong, robust presence, as you know. You mentioned mobile. That is certainly one uh, piece of that equation, as is just the Internet um, and offering innovative services for our members, you know, even at the stores, bringing back a product, picking up a product. Um, you know, we watch very closely other organizations that have done that well. You know, a lot of those organizations, 10 years ago, we didn't know who they were, right, like an Amazon uh, or a Groupon, you know, some of those uh, uh, organizations as well. Staples is a good example uh, as well. You know, they do more e-commerce than almost anybody does, and that's Staples. And you can imagine where a lot of that comes from. So we were trying to add just additional perspective to the to the organization. We've got a lot of long-service people here that have done uh, very well, very loyal, have a ton of uh, institutional knowledge. Uh, but the beautiful thing is, Chris, is that they're hungry to learn more and to see more. And one of the strategies that we have uh, to be able to achieve that is to bring in senior leaders from other organizations that have been able to accomplish many of the things that we're set out to accomplish as well uh, to become that great retailer again. So I, I think I remember when I was talking previously that, you know, Sears kind of feels like a, a kind of a traditional culture, uh, maybe even, uh, uh, you know, one that, you know, kind of very typical that people might think of um, in being such a big company. but maybe kind of decided to try to be a little bit less traditional. So how do you see the transformation taking place in the organization? And maybe what are some of the things you and others are putting into place to really drive a cultural transformation? That's well said, Chris. It it has been a traditional culture, and there's nothing wrong with that. But as we want to move faster and into areas that we've never been in before, um, you know, it takes different leadership, it takes different commitments, and it does take a bit of a different culture. You know, one thing that that we did, let me think about this for just a moment, just over a year ago, is we took out performance ratings. So we we no longer have performance ratings. So one of our cultural attributes or values, if you will, uh, that's relatively new to the organization is embracing feedback. So we now have a full feedback system through our organization, through what we call Soundboard or Game On, it's part of the Game On system, where we no longer have ratings. You know, we have our business objectives. You know, based on those business objectives, we have our individual priorities, and we cascade those into kind of quarterly goals or key results, if you will. And that's how we manage performance through the organization. That's a big cultural shift for an organization that's been very used to having a very specific annual review and having a quantitative rating associated with them that drove their pay or drove, you know, other things within their employment history here. And it was interesting is the feedback that I got here is, oh, we don't have a performance management system anymore. And, Chris, you can imagine that that, you know, that was that kind of was biting at my ankles, if you will. <laughs> that's not the case at all. Right. We absolutely have a performance management system here. We just don't have ratings anymore. But as we try to become a more accountable culture, you know, where we take accountability, we close these gaps, you know, what we see, we own it, we solve it, um, then being open uh, and respectful around communications and constantly accepting and giving feedback, uh, that was one way to kind of force it. And it's, what's interesting about that um, 
is you don't think of Sears necessarily as being on the front edge of big changes like that. When you when you read about folks that are ditching, for the lack of a better word, performance ratings, you're you're thinking about Adobe, uh, you know, those more edgy organizations, if you will, out west. And here you have a very traditional retailer um, that is trying a lot of new things. And, you know, we're doing that within Sears, and that helps the culture shift into being more flexible, more creative, more innovative, and much more accountable. How much of that do you think has to do with the fact that you have a lot of subcultures as well within the organization? I mean, we talked about some of those those big brands earlier. Did, did that impact it, or did that just make it necessary to kind of you know institute some changes, uh, you know, in how you're dealing with the culture? Yeah, it impacts it. I mean, I think there's an element of necessity there as well, Chris. I think that's a really good point. But you know, we talked about some of the brands that we have in the organization. Um, you know, if you see that big Sears sign at the end of the mall, uh, right on the other side of the building is likely a Sears Auto organization as well, where you can take your car to get your battery changed or your tires rotated, oil change, et cetera. You know, those are all different business units within our organization. Online's a different one. You know, we have several, um, and we have some shared infrastructure, but they also take on, to your point, some of those subcultures as well. Um, <clears throat> you know, we're much more innovative in, in some areas than we are in others. It's, it's been embraced in a more accelerated pattern in some divisions than it has in others. But the necessity piece is, you know, we're still have and work and operate under the umbrella of embracing that feedback, you know, showing pride for the organization and, and putting our members first. It's just it's a little difficult when you have several different business units uh, trying to achieve their individual and business objectives that are still part of a large uh, enterprise. But I think if you look at the large enterprise, everything that we do or that we touch is and should have a direct impact on our members. So if we just talk about, hey, Sears Holdings will have a members-first type culture, members being you know synonymous with customers, if you will. Basing how you do that within your own sub-unit SBU culturally you know, we do offer quite a bit of flexibility from that perspective. And all of this while you're probably trying to bring in the top executive management uh, talent that you can and struggling, or I, I shouldn't say struggling, but probably trying to figure out the best way to, uh, like all other companies are, are currently having this challenge, to deal with this, the engaging millennials. And they're entirely kind of almost seems like new uh, process they're kind of expecting based on this kind of rapid change in technology. So, h- how are you dealing with, with some of those challenges? Well, I'll start with the with with the former. Um, you know, in my, my my selection process here, I thought they did a, a really good job because my first impression was, well, where is Sears going? You know, I just talked to a candidate earlier today that I'm trying to fill for one of our roles uh, that is with Radio Shack. And if anybody watches the news, we see what's happening rapidly with Radio Shack. Sure. And I said, tell me a little bit about your culture there and how things are. How are people doing? What's the mood like? And, you know, this candidate just lit up. He was speaking so highly of the people and how hard everybody's tried till the end and, you know, so on and so forth. And when I, when I got recruited to Sears, I thought, well, what, what is the future? Help me understand where Sears is going. You know, home service is different than auto, which is different than retail, which is different than, you know, parts of the Craftsman, Kenmore, Die Hard. And I, I was really impressed with how they shared their vision, shared their strategy and their roadmap, brought me to uh, the headquarters building here in Hoffman Estates, Illinois, west of Chicago, and showed me some of the things that they're doing, show me that they're, what their investments were, but really took the time, Chris, to share with me, and I've done this with candidates subsequently, where we can make a difference and how quickly and materially that difference can be for folks that are coming to a very senior level in the organization, which indicated to me that there was an openness to try new things. We have a very large, what we call test and learn environment here. You want to try something out? Try something out. We have enough controllership within the organization that, you know, nothing that you're going to do is going to sink the business, obviously. Uh, But let's try it. Let's just try it. Let's not talk about it too much. Let's just put it out there in a region or in an office or in a store and give it a shot and see how it works. And if it 
results are positive, we'll have further discussions on whether we want to implement it or not. Executives like that. They like the openness. They like being able to see very quickly that they can have and make a difference and try some things pretty quickly in the organization to change behavior and improve performance. Well, that's got to be a pretty cool uh, recruiting tool then because I imagine that would be one of the misconceptions that any large company might have is that someone's going to come in, they're going to have to sit and play politics all day and ultimately projects or change management and things like that might move so slowly that you would rather you know just jump off the edge of a cliff. Um <laughs> And if you if you have sort of this thing built in where you you can try things, you can at least pilot things to give it a shot to at least demonstrate that there may be you know some workings here uh, or or to beta test something and refine it into a really work good working process. That that's exciting stuff. It, it is exciting. Now, don't get me wrong. The bureaucracy will still present itself when you don't want it to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the appetite for the organization to try new things. Uh, is really stunning. And, you know, I might have still joined not knowing that, but I can tell you that this, that what was communicated to me was proven out pretty soon after I got here, which I really appreciated. Now, interestingly, the second part of your question is we involve a lot of our millennials uh, in those types of processes, those tests and learns. And they're, they just have different requirements, as we all know and we all read about, uh, I actually had a, I have a 24-year-old HR generalist that's on my team, um, and we had a large meeting. This was the second week of the uh, calendar year, and she came into my office probably an hour afterwards and just, how did I do? Give me some feedback. I mean, they want feedback right off the bat. Uh, they want to understand, you know, where they can make the difference. They want to grow rapidly in the organization. It's such a, 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 a different view than... Uh, the baby boomers or the Gen X folks. What, what strikes me the most is how involved they want to be in the community on behalf of the organization, which I think is where we've gotten, Chris, the most momentum with mm-hmm. our millennial population is the amount of work that we do in our communities, whether it's here in the Chicagoland or whether it's one of our stores anywhere around the country, um, downtown, just our partnership with the communities. Uh, those aren't just being participated by the millennials. A lot of the millennials are actually leading those efforts as well. So we've we've had some good success. We've actually had some pretty good success uh, attracting and retaining millennials. It's, it's interesting. This is this is interesting to me anyway. Chris is if you go ask a, a baby boomer about you know tell me what you know about Sears, they may talk to you for about a half an hour. Uh, if you ask a millennial what they know about the Sears, they may have seen it in that mall example that you gave at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. They don't know much about it, and they may ask their parents about it. But same type of, of recruiting strategy around, we'll give you opportunities to grow. We move people around in the organization all the time. You can be involved in the community, and we're very flexible. Um, I know that you're out in the Bay Area. Chicago's got challenges from traffic. We have a lot of people that live in the city, and we're about 40 miles west of the city, so we're very flexible on work arrangements and things of that nature to try to achieve that balance. Yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm, unfortunately we don't have too much more time to maybe dive into it. I was going to maybe also mention some of that kind of neat stuff that you had talked about with your technicians really having a great sense of purpose and really loving what they're doing uh, and being able to solve problems for people and you know get their washing machines working again, get their dryers working again, and really you know get people the small things in life kind of fixed and going. But with everything that you're doing and all this the kind of great momentum you have, I'm wondering if there is a, a book that maybe you're reading or that you might suggest to those people that are tuning in that they ought to check out to maybe, you know, whether it's improve their life or improve their their workforce, their company uh, that, you know, you might suggest. Sure. Yeah. Well, I just finished reading for the second time a book called The First 90 Days. It's written by Michael Watkins. I'm sure much of the audience has probably heard of that book, but it's a great book for anybody that's in any new role. Um, you know, it reminds you of, of credibility and, and, you know, methodology and kind of how to attack your first 90 days. I think that's a, a great book. And, you know, reading it for the second time, I've, I had different perspective from when I read it the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just started a book by Tom Rath and... Uh, most of us know Tom Rath is kind of the uh, brains behind Strengths Finder. He's got a book that's been out for about a year now. It's called Eat, Move, Sleep. And um, 
you know, it's just as it sounds. It's, it's, it's really talking about how the small choices that you make every single day, you know, how often you move around, what you're eating, your sleep habits, you know, those choices, how they can lead to kind of big changes uh, in your life. It's an, it's an easy read. It's a New York Times uh, bestseller. And it's one of those life improvement books. I find, I find it fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and I love the Strength Finder stuff. So that sounds like a great suggestion. And certainly anybody coming into a new role that's very apropos to check out the, the 90 day book, that sounds great. And a reminder we will also place all these book uh, links and on our blog post, we'll do a recap of this that you can find on our blog section of the People G2 uh, website. But uh, Marty, you've uh, really given us a lot of great information. I've really appreciated uh, getting all your insights and learning more about uh, what sounds like th- to be the new Sears, uh, different than the one that I think a lot of people maybe, uh, especially uh, you talk about baby boomers, might have in their heads. So sure, uh, really appreciate you being on the show, and hopefully we can come, have you come back at some point and give us an update. That's great, Chris. Thanks very much for the time. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, Marty, thank you again. And uh, up next, Donna uh, Schilder uh, will be on the show here live in the studio just after this quick commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have a question uh, for my next guest, you can send it to us uh, on Twitter uh, at PeopleG2. Use the hashtag Talent Talk, all one word, and we will uh, try to stump her, uh, or at least I get her good perspectives. Uh, don't forget, you can also go to TownTalkRadio.com and hear all our past shows. If uh, you can't find the podcast app on your iPhone or uh, whatever the phone you're Gizmo you may be using. Did I just say gizmo? That That's a really old word. All right. I'm, I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to make gizmo cool. All right. So my next guest is uh, Donna Schilder. Am I saying that correctly? All right. She's an executive coach with uh, Glacier Point Solutions. So Donna, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Right. Is that better? That's better. Okay. Take, we'll take two there. So. <laughs> Uh, so tell us about yourself, your background, and of course a little bit about your company, uh, Glacier Point Solutions. Yes, well, um, I'm an executive and career coach, and a ment- uh, a master certified coach. And Glacier Point Solutions is a team of executive coaches um, who offer, we together offer coaching initiatives that are more impactful than just coaching one executive. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, coaching more than one, getting the whole team involved. Right. And, um, you know, our mission is to help build inspiring cultures and encouraging leaders. That's that's the passion that drives me. So you're looking at kind of pushing pushing forward you know, multiple executives maybe at a time into mm-hmm. a particular you know, change, whether it's a change management event or change in culture, yes. uh, as opposed to just maybe dealing with a particular problem child or yes. executive that nobody likes or entrepreneur that nobody wants to work for. Yes. <laughs> using it as um, a talent management tool, mm-hmm. using it as a reward, using it as a tool to help them, the, the high potential people develop, not just throwing it at people who aren't performing. Mm-hmm. 
So, so I, when looking at your your resume, you have like thirty years uh, <laughs> as an improvement executive coach. I don't know if you started when you were ten, but so you keep you know, pointing out how old I am, no, right? I, 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 <laughs> you must have started when you were ten. So. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, wh- what is it that continues to really drive your enthusiasm towards this kind of work? Well, it's watching people grow. Um, just this morning, I was working with an, an executive, and or, well, it was a director-level person, and um, she was trying to work on being a better um, meeting um, leader, and she'd been given some very specific feedback, and she was so excited when she got on the phone because she said she implemented what we'd been talking about, and her, her VP came and said, you couldn't have done it better, and and to hear people get excited and to hear people improve is what really drives my passion. Well, and it's great when you can have someone you're working with that maybe wants to take on that, wants to improve, wants to get better. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know we, we recently read a book, uh, I think the author's name is Dweck, uh, Mindset is the oh, book. Uh-huh. And, you know, really fascinating. We did talk to this in an HR book club that I run, and, you know, it was essentially that you have these kind of two groups of people. And I hate when people say there's two kinds of people, but... <laughs> In this book, they were categorizing them as those that are always kind of working to improve and get better, which I think has really become a big part of the DNA of companies now, and especially with millennials. Any of those people have a fixed mindset that things are the way they are, and maybe they can't really change their predicament. And so mm-hmm. I often find that a lot of times the people who need who get the coaching assigned to them or have that fixed mindset, which is sort of counterintuitive. So yes. it's kind of really interesting you're talking about having that great feedback because that's really what you want is, hey, mm-hmm. here's here's how you can get better. Here's how we can, you know, work together. And if they're mm-hmm. excited about it, I mean, that would be, that's really, re- I mean, that's almost like, closest thing I could think of is if you're, you know, you're coaching, uh, let's say, youth sports, and you yes. teach someone yes. how to do something that you already know how to do, and they do it, and they look, they, they light up, right? Yes, yes. Um, I, the old way of coaching was, you know, use it as punitive or use it as a last-ditch effort mm-hmm. to save someone, and usually the person that needs to be saved doesn't want to improve. Right. Um, every once in a while they do, and then that works, but when they don't, um, when they're defensive, when they're, they've been beaten down, you know, that's not the time to make a lot of change. They're already broken. So let's give people a tool that develops them and develops their talent before that happens, you know, mm-hmm. in a proactive way. You know, give people who are in a new management position, instead of just throwing them in there, give them a coach so they have somebody to, to bounce ideas off of. Right. So you're saying you don't just give them a job and expect them to <laughs> just figure it out? <laughs> yeah. Go figure it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's the rule And book. be really successful at it, right? Yeah, and it's a thousand pages and you need to read it yeah. by tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what happens with parenting. Um, <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> so you've worked with some of the top companies around the world in providing executive coaching and leadership training. Do you find similarities in these corporations as far as you know the issues that they're dealing with and the things that are kind of most you know pressing for them to get resolved? It's so funny. I mean, there are differences in industries, but there's themes. All through my 30-year career, there's definitely been themes. And one of them is um, not giving people enough positive feedback and encouragement. And I was working with another client yesterday, and she was being expected to give encouragement and positive feedback to her staff. Um, But when I encouraged her, her vice president to give her feedback, the VP came back and said, I don't give encouragement and positive feedback because I've never gotten it. Right. And so... Because that know, makes it right. It trickles down. <laughs> right. Yeah, that makes it right. And, and, and so here's the thing. You know, the CEO needs to give positive feedback, and it needs to trickle all the way down mm-hmm. through the organization. So that's a theme I see over and over again. Um, another theme is conflict-averse, being conflict-averse, mm-hmm. being afraid to deal with conflict. Um, and what's great about coaching is it can help people really dig into the deep part of why they're conflict-averse and get over it. Right. And, and we can have conversations that, you know, the supervisor can't have. I, You know, I can tell them they need to go to therapy and... <laughs> You right. know, their supervisor can't do that. But yeah. um, but I see that at, to- at the top of organizations where, you know, the CEO is afraid of conflict and they let people bully other people and mm-hmm. even bully them. Right. And um, it's, it, it erodes their credibility. It erodes morale. It creates fear and distrust. And so another theme that I see over and over again. You know, kind of the beginning there of your response, you t- talked about that kind of need to just to give 
basic feedback, basic, you know, uh, praise to, to people. And mm-hmm. it's amazing how we all know it. And it's not like it's some secret. And yet yes. it's not something that is, I think, formally taught to people in no. the work environment. And, mm-hmm. it's, and, and people kind of almost, they get into this, uh, I'm going to be tough. I'm going to show you how tough I can be kind of role. Yeah. And, but yet it's free. And it is yes. like the most effective thing. To make your company happy, make your, your staff happy, make people happy. You don't have to buy them things. You don't have to give them no. Starbucks cards. You don't have to, you know, do these things that are maybe going to cost you time, cost you money, whatever. All you have to do is say, thank you. Hey, good job. And, and it really goes such a long way. Uh, I, I've been fortunate enough to give a, you know talks to HR people. And I have mentioned this thing before. And it amazes me how that's the thing they start writing down. And I'm like, how is It's so obvious. It's so obvious. How is this news? <laughs> You know, by the way, that lets me know why you got named um, best one of the best companies to work for in Orange County. So congratulations oh, well, on that. You. That's a huge, um, huge thing. But uh, you I know, think it's because we just filled out the paperwork. Yeah, no. that was it. I think that was the only reason. <laughs> no, it's because you understand that. Yeah. And uh, people, even CEOs need encouragement and mm-hmm. we need to encourage up. Too. It's not just right. down. But p- human beings need encouragement and positive feedback tells them that they're going in the right direction and it reinforces the right behaviors and it's free. And we need at the top level to do that and model that. And we need to hold every level of management accountable to do it. You know, that top up is a real in- or bottom up is a real interesting thing because I, I, have, I have thought, you know, an interesting book to write essentially no one's going to give you you know real praise as the ceo get over it like that would kind of be the whole premise right because people are afraid to people feel like it's brown nosing right um it's in some level just expected that you're going to do what you're going to do at that level yeah and and if you're the owner of the company well you're doing it for your own benefit your own kind of thing so there's always that lack of it's not free flowing. It's easy. It's so much easier top down, or even and we really try to practice this at um, my company, peer to peer, as best as we can. I mean, yes. That's the most important. Mm-hmm. Is you know just across the board, not top down, not bottom up, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's an interesting kind of thing I hadn't really thought about. That maybe that needs to be kind of taught in organizations that maybe that feels self serving. But you know that people do need to remember to say thank you and to say good job to their boss as well if they can find the right way to do without it coming off as, as brown nosing. Yeah, I think if you're authentic mm-hmm. and specific in any f- positive feedback that you give um, and you really mean it, then that works. And, you know, I always gave whatever boss I had when I had a boss um, positive feedback and they just that you could just see them soak it up, you know. Right. So maybe you don't do it in front of everyone. You know, you do it. That's a good suggestion right there. That's yeah. a great one. Maybe it's not public because that right. that would come off as maybe not genuine. Right. Right. Or, you know, people may not understand. But, yeah, yeah one-on-one, you could just tell someone, thank you for, for doing that or yes. for helping me or giving me that feedback or whatever it may be. Yes. So, so you kind of sit in maybe these little three areas if we had a – if we could show a Venn diagram on, on – uh, <laughs> On the radio, but we can't. So, you know, you have executive coaching, you have leadership coaching, and you have kind of career coaching. Is is there a particular area that you tend to like a little bit better, or does it kind of just depend on which one has not made you as mad that day? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it all. Um, I love executive coaching because I love to help people be more inspiring and to, stink, to think strategically, and that's fun. I need a mixture. That's just me. I need, I, I've always been really eclectic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the career coaching because it took me 20 years to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I wanted to help people. So I created a process um, 10 years ago to take into account your values, and I used the Values in Action Inventory um, from Martin Seligman, the AuthenticHappiness.com um, or .org website. And if you can help people connect to their values in their work, either by choosing the right work the first time or by increasing their use of their values in their work they will feel fulfilled and happy and i think happy workers are you know that's amazing so i love both of both sides i i guess that's the answer can't help it i love all my children <laughs> <laughs> well and it always gives you kind of uh fresh challenges and allows you not to get kind of too overwhelmed or get stale into one one area and that, mm-hmm. and that that's, that's part of the reason why we have this show is we like to really talk to with people in this space and to have kind of these new ideas and be hopefully on the cusp of what's mm-hmm. kind of being talked about or argued about or worried about. 
and uh, instead of just kind of focusing in that one little area where, where maybe we do most of our work. Mm-hmm. So that, 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 that kind of sounds you know like we, we kind of sit in the same mindset there. But uh, you know, when it comes to talent management, what are some of the maybe the keys that uh, you offer executives to ensure that they're working not only to develop talent, but also to maintain or hold on to their top talent in, in a particular industry? Mm-hmm. I think talent development is the key to holding on to their top talent because their top talent wants to keep growing. Like you said, they're in the other group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I say go and build relationships. Um, relationships are what keep people in a company. So ask questions and listen. I mean, people love to be listened to, right? Um, ask good questions. Find out what issues they're facing and help them overcome their barriers and their issues. Um, also, invest in talent management and get them into seminars and, and training and do training on the job and um, do coaching. And, 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 you know, coaching is another relationship, right? So building, you know, support for people I think right. is really important. One thing that I always have to be mindful of is listening to understand and not listening to respond. <laughs> and because even in this setting, I need to be listening. I need to have the next thing kind of ready so that we have, you know, there's not this large pause. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I need to be understanding what someone's saying. And that's more important than me having my next response. Because you, know, you can you can yes. listen to people for a long time. You can ask them 50 questions. You can, they can feel like they told you a lot, but if you didn't really understand what they were saying, mm-hmm. you know, that can really, really change uh, the dynamic, I think, between you and that person or whether or not y- you're going to have a successful kind of engagement with that person. Absolutely. Is, is that something you guys focus in on, on, on you know, the just kind of different levels of listening within that training? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think we model the behavior, and I, so I think one of the best ways to become a good coach, which is really, you know, leaders need to be leaders, but they also need to coach well. The best way to do that is to be coached well. Mm-hmm. And so we ask questions and we listen deeply. We hear all the different layers. We hear the emotional level and the message, and and we model that and we reflect back. And um, so I think we help people feel heard so they know what it feels like so they can go out and make the people that work for them feel heard. Right. So now let's kind of shift from the executives or these, you know, in career coaching. But mm-hmm. uh, let's say I threw a, a, an average millennial here in front of you. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there advice that you might give them in entering a company and how they might be successful, given their unique makeup <laughs> as it relates to the rest of the company and their unique experiences, whether that's good, bad, or otherwise, mm-hmm. um, aside from maybe taking their phone and putting it away for a minute? <laughs> You know, what, what kinds of things might you focus on for someone like that? And I do co- coach millennials, and um, I, I always want to have a few in my practice. And they're very attracted to coaching. They've been coached, and they love to be coached. Right. Um, feedback. I mean, they get yeah, constant they feedback online, right? So they kind of they want it. Yes, they want it. Um, one would be be patient. You know, you always have that story of the millennial who says, how do I become the CEO um, next week, right? (laughs) Um, But be patient. um, Absorb the information around you. um, Let things flow a little bit more slowly. um, And, you know, know that it's good to be collaborative, and that is a great thing. But sometimes things need to be done as one person making a decision because it needs to be, de- be done quickly. Right. And so as, a, as an employee, realize that sometimes in order to be agile and respond to the business climate, the decision just needs to be made. Right. Can't have death by committee. Right. right. <laughs> and, and the same thing as they move up through the leadership ranks is use that inclusive style, but know when it's time to make the quick decision and mm-hmm. do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's... there's great wisdom in understanding hearing what other people have to say being able to make sure you've you've at least thought about enough perspectives to, to make a good decision but then you need to make that decision right yeah, i mean just you, do it it can't be okay everyone tell me what to do or let's take a vote or, or what have you i mean that's right. yeah if you've been put in charge of something you've been put in charge of something and you need to, to go with what's right and it's okay to say i screwed up i'm wrong i made the wrong decision let's let's switch let's change i think those people that you know, we'll just stick with something because it's the decision they made, mm. and they're going to see it out forever. <laughs> Those are the ones that drive me crazy. You yeah. know? It's like just just admit 
it didn't go right. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Let's go go on. Yeah. Um, the other thing I see in millennials too is um, they like feedback, but they like all positive feedback. And so, mm-hmm. find a way to be able to listen to the difficult feedback, process the emotions, go away, and come back, and then take it and use it to improve yourself. That's because there's only a like button on yeah. Facebook. There's not an unlike button. <laughs> exactly. They've been trained. <laughs> You have to go to Twitter for all the, all, the, all the hating going on. So, yeah. So, what do you feel is one of the best uh, assessment tools for organizations to really kind of identify strengths so that employees are kind of being used strategically? If you have this great millennial, you have a great executive, you have all these different people, are there ways in which you're kind of helping them determine where that person really would, would fit best based mm-hmm. on? Both what they've learned, what they know, and some of their own natural kind of inclinations. Right. Well, you know, definitely doing an assessment of, you know, a matrix of skills that uh, that each of your employees have is really helpful in seeing where the holes are. Mm-hmm. Um, Strengths Finder is wonderful yeah, for we love that. that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like I said, I really like the Values in Action Inventory because. It helps people get more engaged in their work, so I definitely get people involved taking that and seeing, okay, so my strength is creativity, you know, or your employee's strength is creativity. How can you help them utilize more creativity? And if you just give them one project to do that, they'll light up. Right. It, it, you know, it's just little things sometimes that make a big difference for people. How important do you think it is then... Maybe what you've kind of you, you you've put someone in that right role, you, you've got them you, what you think is going to be the best place for for them and the, and the organization. But then you need to kind of mentor those relationships in the business, and you need to, you know, whether this is a small company or a large company, you have all these different relationships, and it's almost like kind of intersecting uh, politics and initiatives and what profit and risk and all these things. So. At what point is it kind of the right time to bring in a mentoring relationship? Whether that's an outside coach or that's another executive or someone who's been in that spot, is it all the time? Is it you know kind of based on where they sit in the in, in the organization? And would you kind of have an idea of when that would be the best time? Well, um, it, and I want to also talk to the difference between a mentor and a coach. Sure, I think yeah, maybe you should really explain an, that. That okay. might be good. Yeah, so um, a coach is someone who's skilled in helping people grow they um, are completely focused on that's what they do mm-hmm. they create a pla- a safe place for people to explore their beliefs their values um, and what drives their behavior and they help people drive and change behavior from the inside out um, a mentor is usually within your company could be outside your company in, the, in a similar industry and what they do is help you navigate the company politics, understand the industry, give you advice on how to interact with your peers, and, right. and gain technical infor- information and knowledge. Um, so I think both have their place. I think um, timing-wise, you know, you definitely want to be looking at your high potentials and giving them some development, um, letting them know that you're going to develop them into supervisors and managers and directors. Um, when people move into a new position is a great time. Right. Um, I think you probably want to go through and, and do coaching initiatives and then, you know, at times maybe let people have time off from that. Um, but I have companies that keep their leaders in leadership development, having a coach at all times. And what that does is give them a sounding board. So when something goes wrong, they have a place to go talk it through. And sometimes they'll talk it through with a mentor, but sometimes they need a place where they can say what they really feel and not be afraid that it's going to go out to somebody else. Right. So kind of blown through this interview gone so quickly wow. it's been a lot of fun wow, we're, we're getting really almost <laughs> yeah we're almost down here to the end but I, i'm one of our favorite questions to ask our mm-hmm, guests because mm-hmm. they give us such great answers um is what are you reading right now well i decided to reread when i started doing my goals in january to reread um encouraging the heart by kuzos and posner okay um i feel like it really aligns with um what i'm about and what the company's about um gives great tips on how to be a more encouraging leader and how to give positive feedback. Um, and I wanted to share something from before. Um, it, it, they did a study and 40% of workers said they never got any positive feedback. Wow. Zero. And then they asked, would you perform better if you got positive feedback? And 98% of people said yes. 
So, um, and it's free and it's free (laughs) and all you have to do is make a discipline. And with some people I say, just put a a little note on your calendar every day at two to walk around and give some positive feedback. You know, I mean, if you have to make it part of a process and I'm guessing, you know, my company, we maybe do a little more than what you're saying. I feel like it would do a little bit better, but I never feel like I do it enough. I never feel like we've ever reached this pinnacle of a love fest that we should be in you know but because we're busy and you're you're always going and you know it's it's hard to do that yeah um and and i don't always see because i don't need to nor should i see every little thing that's happening in the organization to be able to be there so there is this amount that's probably happening that i'm unaware of hopefully yay (laughs) yay you (laughs) but you know i think organizations need if if you don't have this feeling that you're not doing it enough I think that maybe you're you're probably not doing it at all. Like you're probably, yes. you know what I mean. You need to kind of rethink. It ought to really be a part of your every I think, day. That's, um, you're living, breathing, right? And you need to give yourself positive feedback too, and an, an acknowledgement. And that's one thing I always have as a priority in coaching is to teach people to acknowledge themselves because it gives them resilience and motivation to keep going. It has been a great guest here for us here today, and I really appreciate you being here. We didn't get quite to all the questions, but maybe we can have you come back at some <laughs> Love point. To. And yeah, we Love can talk to. some Very more. Fun. So uh, that's about all the time we have today. Thank you again to Marty Nolan of Sears and uh, Donna Schilder. I don't know why I'm having... Uh, Schilder. Do people say it wrong all the time? Yes. <laughs> I was going to say Schindler or something, but yes. Schilder. Sorry. So... Uh, now we have Donna's name down, we can end the show. But tune in next week, uh, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. My guest will include Jeff Rogers. He's the CEO of uh, Job Hunter, Pro Outplacement, and Preet Anand. He's the founder of CEO of Pave Digital. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to the only show that takes a look at talent. Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 